Hallelujah. 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 Let's have a word of prayer, okay? Jesus, we just come to you with our hearts open to say, minister to us, speak to us, call us on the things that we need to be called on, and draw us closer to you. Draw us near, O Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. We thank you for this opportunity. We give your name the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, you know, I've been concerned because so many people that you talk to, they don't read the Bible. How many of you know that? People don't read the Bible. They seem to think that the Bible is irrelevant to their life. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the word. The, the, the entitled of the message is The Word. And it's going to be taken from John 17, 17, St. John. And everybody look up here. Let's read this together. One, two, three, read. Sanctify by the truth. Your word is truth. That's the scripture this morning. Thy word is truth. Let's say that. Thy word is truth. I think many of you would agree that we live in an information age. We can obtain knowledge from around the world with a click of a mouse or a swipe of the finger. And you can almost say sometimes it's information overload. We can get so much information that we have to process. We have to process it to determine if it's fact or if it's fake. All day, we have various forms of equipment, the television, the cell phone, the computers, the iPads, and they bombard us with information. We're buried in a mountain of information. We spend hours getting all this information, and so much of it we can't even retain. But you know what's the sad part about it? The sad part about it is that most of it is irrelevant to our eternal destination. You know, we may live 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, or 100 years, and it doesn't matter how good of life that we've had. The one thing for sure, the death rate is still high. It has not decreased. It's still 100%. You see, we're just passing through this way. This world is not our home. And regardless of all the information that we get, there's only one source that speaks concerning our future destination. There's only one source that gives us the news as to where we're going to spend eternity. And that's the gospel. The Bible is called the gospel because it's the word of hope that we need in our lives. It's the good news. The Holy Bible is a living testimony to the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of the Lord is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the spirit, the soul, and joints, the moral. It says it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. You see, when we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. We can get a lot of information from the world, but one thing for sure, 
it won't bring transformation to our soul. Only the word of God can bring transformation to our soul. The word is real, it's truth, and it's infallible. You know, there were about 40 different authors of the various scriptures in the Bible. And it was written over a period of 16 years, 1,600 years. It was written in two languages. And every portion of the Bible agrees perfectly with each portion of it. And you know why? Because the hand of God was in the writing of it. The Bible is infallible. It doesn't matter if you read the Old Testament or the New Testament. There is perfect unity between the two divisions. For instance, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, it says, the scripture says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And then in 1 Peter, verse 24, it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, it tells of the Passover story of the blood of lamb that was smeared over the doorposts. And the death angel passed over the house. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been, sanctified, has been sacrificed. This word was not written with modern technology. No internet, no computers to cross-reference, no Bible online, and yet it's written with perfect unity. The Bible is the word of God. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you today, if you need to receive healing, deliverance from oppression, salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or any other desired blessing, go to the word of God. Regardless of the time that we live in, we still need a word from the Lord. You see, the doctor can give you information about your condition. But what we need is a word, a word that says we're going to be healed. And I remember the story of Hezekiah, and God told Hezekiah to set his house in order. Hezekiah prayed and wept before the Lord. And the Bible says that God told the prophet Isaiah, go back and tell Hezekiah. Go back and tell Hezekiah that I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. You know, sometimes we think healing is just Old Testament, but it's New Testament. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, Jesus talks about the centurion that needed healing. It says that when Jesus was entering Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And you know what the centurion said? He said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But speak a word 
Speak a word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus was impressed with this man that he believed if Jesus just spoke a word, that his servant would be healed. If you're sick, you need more than just information. You need a word from the Lord. When you have a child that's a prodigal, like the prodigal son, that left not just the physical home, but left the house, the spiritual house, you need a word of hope. Like Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not what? He will, he will not depart from it. That's the, that's the word of hope that we need. But you see, one of our biggest problems is we don't go to the word when we have stress, when we're facing problems. We tend to think that we can hound it. And when things, when we don't go to the word and we get, begin to see the problem has become magnified and we don't understand why the problem has become magnified. The church, what we have to understand is that we don't have the answers. God has the answers. I want to tell you that I want to confess to you that I don't read the Bible because I don't have anything else to do. I don't read the Bible because I like history. I read the Bible because my soul needs the watering of the word. And I'm telling you like Peter, where else could I go, Lord, because you have the words of life. You see, when I got saved at a Baptist church, the pastor of the church asked me if I would take an evangelism class. And I agreed to it. And I don't know if any of you are familiar, but he ordered Bill Bright's material about the four spiritual laws, and we had to go through this class. And I took the class along with the deacon of the church. And after each one of the, the lessons, there's a discussion that you have to have after the chapters. And so this particular day, the deacon was leading the discussion. And this is what he said to me. He says, look, I don't believe this stuff. This is just Jewish history. And you shouldn't believe it either because you're being misled. But you see, I couldn't listen to him. Because when that word was preached that Thursday night, Jesus got a hold of my soul. And I didn't see that as Jewish history. The Bible became the words of life for me. You know, some of you might feel that, like that old deacon, that this book is just Jewish history. And if you're operating in confusion, frustration, depression, oppression, I want to tell you something. Make this Bible more than just a history book. This Bible, this word of God can regenerate your soul. This word can convict you. This word can save you. And this word will judge you. I want to talk to you this morning about from two chapters in the book of Daniel. I want to talk to you first from the book of Daniel chapter 4, and then I'm going to talk with you from Daniel chapter 5. Daniel had been captured by the Babylonians as a teenager. His name means 
My God is a judge. And that's what the book of Daniel is about. In these two chapters, we're going to find that God has given a word to two kings. In Daniel chapter 4, God gives Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, a dream. Now, the interesting part about this is that the king didn't realize that God was thinking about him, even though Nebuchadnezzar wasn't thinking about God. He has this dream, but there's just one problem. Throughout the whole, throughout Babylon, not one of the men's kings, one of the men's astrologers, wizards, or warlocks could interpret his dream. The king was so desperate for an interpretation of this dream that he offered part of his kingdom if anyone could tell him the meaning of the dream. The king was dressed in all his splendor, yet he was naked before God. So Nebuchadnezzar sends for Daniel. He tells Daniel, he says, I have a dream, and it made me afraid. He said, this dream troubled me. And he goes on to say, I was lying in my bed, and this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The leaves grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruit for everybody to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and the birds nested in its branches. All the world fed from this tree. He said, and as I was lying in that dream, Daniel, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut the tree down, loop off its branches, shake off the leaves and scatter its fruit, chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground. Bound the, bond, bound the band of iron and bronze and surround it by tender grass. He says, then he sa it says, let, now let me be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messenger. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdom of the world. Then the king says, Daniel, that was the dream. Now tell me, tell me what does this dream mean? For all the wise men in the kingdom, they don't know. But I called you because the spirit of the holy gods live in you. Daniel proceeds to talk to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, your majesty, the most high God has declared what will happen to you. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the field with wild animals. 
You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass and you will live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdom of the world and gives it to anyone he chooses. He says, but the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. And this means that you will receive your kingdom back when you have learned that heaven rules. He says, that's what the dreams mean, king. But he always also went on to say, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what is right. Break from this wicked past and be merciful. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. You see, God is a patient God. He's a loving God. He's a kind father. But after a while, the stench of sin will bring his judgment. Nebuchadnezzar's sins was very much like those of Pharaoh of Egypt. They were very much like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. All of these men were puffed up with pride, and they mistreated the lowly. Pride was the very sin of Satan. It was pride that the angel became a devil. Pride leads to every vice. It is the anti-God state of mind. It, 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 It wonders, it's no wonder that God says, I detest pride and opposes the proud. It's pride that leads men to believe that they can live without God. Now, you would have thought that word that Nebuchadnezzar got, you would have thought that he would have changed. But one year later, he was strutting around on his roof on the palace, and he looked out on all that he had built, and he says, I built this. I built all of this with my power and my might. The Bible says that no sooner than the words came from his mouth that God put him on his knees, living in wilderness for seven years until he acknowledged the Most High God. Daniel chapter 5. It's about 25 years later from Daniel chapter 4 to Daniel chapter 5. King Nebuchadnezzar is dead. And his grandson, Bezabar, is the king. He, that night, God is getting ready to give a word to King Bezabar. And the night that he's giving this word to King Bezabar, he's having the party of a century. He's having a good time, a showdown for real. And I want you to um, visualize this party because I want to speak in today's youth message. You know, everybody was at the party. If you were somebody or anybody, you were at this party. Thousands of people were there. There was plenty of food and wine. Anything you wanted to drink was at that party. The music was blasting. They were singing and dancing. How low can you go? 
They were having a ball, a blast. They were praising the God of gold, God of silver, the God of bronze, iron, wood, stone. They were drunk. They were so drunk that they did something stupid. They sent, Bezabah sent his, his nobles, his people over and got the goblets, the gold and silver goblets that were supposed to be in the temple. They brought them over, these holy items, and they decided they were going to have drink out of them. And they were getting drunk. They were toasting, toasting to this God and toasting to that God, toasting to every God except to the Most High God. You see, those articles that they removed was sacred. It was blasphemy for them to do that. But see, this party had no shame. And what you got to understand here is that the sin of the grandparents had been passed down to the grandson. Suddenly, God crashes the party in a very dramatic way, in a dramatic fashion. Without warning, there is this hand that began writing on this plaster wall, a handwriting. No body, no body, no face, no torso, just a finger writing on the plastered wall. The words he write are me, me, toko, and parson. And after he finished writing, the hand disappears. Now you can imagine everybody got sober at that party. The king became pale and was extremely frightened. He called his wise men, the astrologers and enchanters, and he says to them, tell me the meaning of this. But they couldn't. He was so desperate again, he says, I promise whoever reads the writings and tell me the meaning will be clothed in purple and put a gold chain around her neck and I'll make them third highest in this ruler in my kingdom. Guess what? None of these wise Babylons could read or interpret the words. There's something about the word of God. God's word can put the proudest, the boldest sinner to fright. They said the king's countenance became pale. His knees knocked and he lost, his legs lost the strength from under him. His grandmother, the queen, hearing the commotion and the noise is going on, she comes out, she sees what's going on, and she says to, that, to, she says to King Belzebar, she says, Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. He says, she says, There is a man in your kingdom that has the spirits of the holy God in him. He has a keen mind, knowledge, and understanding, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for him is Daniel. And he would tell you what these writings mean. 
So Daniel was brought before the king. And the king said to Daniel, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this, these writings and tell me what they mean, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be the third highest in this kingdom. Daniel looked at the king and answered him. He says, look, you can keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. He says, but I'll, I'll read the writings, king, and I'll even tell you what they mean. He proceeded to say, your majesty, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, authority, greatness, glory, and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and the people and the people everywhere dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was removed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. In short, the king, Daniel was telling the king, he says, look, I've been through this before with your grandfather. Not only was he stripped of his glory, but he was driven away from the people and given a man of an animal to live with the wild donkeys, and he ate grass like an ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign and all his kingdoms on earth and he sets and does whatever he wishes. He said, but you, Bezabar, the son of your grandfather, you knew all this, yet you didn't even humble yourself. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblins from the temple brought to you, and you and your brothers and your wives and your concubines, they drank from them. You praise all the other gods, gods that are made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood. And none of them can see, none of them can hear, and none of them can understand. But you did not honor the very God, the Most High, the one that holds your life in his hands. Therefore, he sent this word of inscription to you, and this is the meaning. He said, your days as a king is coming to an end. I'm going to give your kingdom away. I have weighted your behavior and my scales on my scales, and it has not been pleasing to me. You have fallen short, unworthy to be trusted. That very night, Bezabar, the king of the Babylonians, were killed. You see, God brought judgment to the king's house. Yes. And you know what's interesting? The Bible says that judgment will start again in the king's house, the Lord's house. Yes. What will God write about us? For you and me, the same message holds today. It's the message in which we have chosen to ignore. In the arrogance of our culture, 
Many have either forgotten or rejected the God of creation. We need to be reminded that God gave us life and he will be the one to determine when we pass from this life. It's all in his hands. Just as surely as the hairs on our head are numbered, he has numbered our days. Amen. Whereas God gave Nebuchadnezzar a year to get right. But for Belzebub, his time was up that night. God says, any heart weighted down by sin without being cleansed by the blood of Jesus will indeed suffer eternal punishment. Romans 14, 12 tells us that each one of us will give an account before God. Nebuchadnezzar and Bezabah's story doesn't have to be our story. I want to close by saying God has a word for all of us. His word is that he has plans. Plans to prosper us, not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. His word says repent. Turn away from sin because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His word says pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. His word for us is healing. If you have a broken heart, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He said, his word for us is rest. If you are burdened, God's word for you is, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burdens are light. He says, my word for you is faith. If you're sick, call for the elders of the church and let them pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You know, one thing you can count on is God's word. Because the word says, he says, my word goes out of my mouth and it will not return void. But it will accomplish that which it pleases and it shall prosper in the the things whatsoever it's sent to. That's the word of the Lord. So I want to encourage everyone today. Read God's word. Hold God's word dear to your heart and believe God's word. Amen? Amen. 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 Will you stand to your feet, please? Pastor, you want to come up?